We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Today's show is going to be about really looking at a Notre Dame's 2023 class from the standpoint of, you know, we've talked about the number one ranked class and things like that. But what I've said for years is I don't really care about that stuff. I think there's inherent biases on recruiting rankings and things like that. It doesn't really matter to me. What I care about is, is your class one that you look at and say two things. Number one is, would you trade that class with anybody else? That's what I look at. And number two, for Notre Dame specifically, is this the kind of class that can really close the gap on the schools ahead of them? And it's really comes down to Ohio State regionally and then, of course, nationally, Alabama, Georgia, and to a degree, Clemson is still a program that has won titles. I think Clemson's descending a little bit, but they're still a really good football team with a lot of talent. And they've got the two titles. So like one bounce back year could immediately get them back in on track from a recruiting standpoint. So the focus today is going to be on that is what is what does Notre Dame have to do? So really with the remainder of this 2023 class to to look at and say, OK, is this a is this a, a class? How much of how 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 much will this class close the gap? Right. And number two, what would need to happen for this for the gap to get closed? with this class. And that's going to require a little bit more of sort of a, you've got to kind of hit all the right buttons, I think from here on out. And so that's going to be the focus. Cause Ryan, I think the one thing you and I can agree on is this is going to be a gap closing class. This is going to be a top five class. Most likely I'd be shocked mm-hmm. if it isn't, but how much, and I think how they finish is going to determine the how much part. Yeah, I think it's an interesting conversation, Brian, because you can have a class that ranks amongst the best in the country, but does it close the gaps in the right spots, right? I mean, like it can be a great class, let's say in, in the 2023 cycle for Notre Dame, if you don't get the quarterback that you want, but did that close the right gaps, I right. guess is kind of what I'm saying. So I think right. there's a lot of context to it. And that's why I was excited to dive a little deeper because I think there's some positions more uh, more than some where you really need to close the gap this year, at least start to close that gap. And I think that Notre Dame has the chance to do it, 
but that's where this conversation comes in the piece. It's not so much, can Notre Dame get the number one recruiting class? Can they get a top five class? I agree with you. I would be shocked if they don't get a top five class. But is this the class that's going to uh, alleviate some of those gaps correctly? That's what we really need to dive into right. a lot today. Because I think if Notre Dame were just to load up on you know, tight ends, running backs, interior offensive linemen, they're already really good there right? They're already as good as just about anybody there. It's hitting those right notes. And those notes that, number one, are places where maybe you're not as strong, either in the starting lineup or from a depth standpoint. Or number two, as we'll discuss here in a little bit, can you really get the best of the best at the positions where you're already strong, but really want to get even better? And that's going to be true on both sides of the ball. So today, Ryan, the focus is going to be on the offense. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My wife is the coffee drinker in our house. So when I told her about trying out trade coffee, she was curious. When I told her that if she answered the survey trade sent me, they could match her with brands she would like, she was downright skeptical. We ended up getting three different shipments from three regional coffee makers. And let me tell you, she was blown away. My coffee snob wife loved each and every new blend that she got. As a non-coffee drinker myself, I must admit, opening up the cabinet and getting a whiff of her most recent blend was aromatically pleasing. Trade sells the freshest roasted and ethically sourced beans from America's best independent roasters. They ship free to you and as often as you like, whole or ground. Whether you're a coffee connoisseur like my wife or just want a better daily cup, Trade's real coffee experts taste test over 400 roasts and use technology to match you to your ideal coffee based on your preferences and brewing method. Take the coffee quiz to get started. Trade Coffee guarantees you'll love your first bag or they'll replace it for free. And for Irish Breakdown listeners, right now, Trade Coffee is offering up to $20 off your first three bags when you go to drinktrade.com forward slash Irish. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. To get started, take their quiz at drinktrade.com forward slash Irish and start your journey to perfect cup. That's drinktrade.com forward slash Irish for $20 off your first three bags. So, Ryan, let's dive into this topic. I mean, look, everybody knows where we're starting, right? I mean, there, there's we, we haven't talked a lot about them for obvious reasons because 
in my opinion, there hasn't been anything new in his recruitment, right? It's it's everything is where it's been this whole time. So we're going to talk about him now because it's a different topic, and that's Dante Moore, quarterback Dante Moore from Detroit, Michigan, Martin Luther King High School. And I think this is the this is the number one guy in the class for me, regardless of position, because when I look at the future of the Notre Dame quarterback position, I, I am concerned. Now, I'm very high on Tyler Buckner. Everybody knows that. I haven't hidden that. But you can't just have one great quarterback. You need to, you, It needs to become a, a, a string of them. And it doesn't have to happen every single year. But every two, three years at least, you need to get one of those big-time guys. And Notre Dame hasn't been able to do that enough. And when they have done it, they haven't developed it properly. I think that part is corrected because I think the biggest stumbling block to quarterback development is now in Baton Rouge. So I'm not as concerned about that. But now you got to go get the talent. And if Tyler Buckner is everything that we think he can be, he may not be here beyond after the 2023 season. And if he is every, if he is, it's only through 2024, which means that they need to they need to hit on these next two classes of quarterback. And Dante Moore clearly is that guy in the 2023 class, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, there's no question, right? And I, that's why if you're on the Notre Dame message board, and if you're not, you can sign up at boards.irishbreakdown.com at the bottom there. It's a main talking point. And one thing that we talked about in my recruiting mailbag this week is just how big is the Dante Moore thread going to become until he makes a decision on where he's going to go to school. And this is why it's the most important position in all of sports. And we do, and I know me and Brian both agree on this and pretty much everybody, you know, that I've spoken to agrees that he could be a program changer. Like that's what type of caliber quarterback Dante Moore is. And we've talked about this a ton you don't always have a guy that is a program changing five-star quarterback that is playing his football two and a half hours away from campus. Like that's a, a pertinent thing as far as proximity. He's also Notre Dame a 4.0 well. student. Yes. Right. Who hits every one of those layers that makes him a good fit in the Notre Dame program. So it's massive to say the least that you, that you get a player like him because it is the most important position in football and most important right. position in all of sports. Everybody knows that. And Dante Moore has the talent to be that guy that takes you from a really good team to an elite team. Like he has right. that type of profile to him. Right. And and we've seen that. We saw that with Clemson, right? Like when Clemson had Taj Boyd, they were a really good team. I mean, they went 10 and three one year and, and beat Ohio state in the orange bowl. And you know, the year before, I think they were 11 and two and beat LSU or you know, it might've been 10 and three again. I have to I have to go back and look that up. I forget what their schedule was, but they went and beat LSU in, in a bowl game, right? And and they were a good football team. I mean, if you look at the success that Coach Sweeney was having, they went ten and four in two thousand eleven. They went eleven and two in two thousand twelve, eleven and two in two thousand thirteen, ten and three in two thousand fourteen, and that two thousand that ten and three season was the first freshman year for Deshaun Watson, and he kind of was able to get out there and get some work in. Ended up getting banged up, missed some games that year, came back at the end. But you you saw the potential with Deshaun when he was healthy and playing, and and then of course once he finally takes over the next two years, Clemson went fourteen and one in back to back seasons, lost in the national championship game into Alabama forty five forty. Go out the next year, he leads them to a national championship, and then what did they do after they had Deshaun? They went twelve and two the next year because they were back to having and they got spanked in the first round of the playoffs because they were back to having just a an okay kid at quarterback and Kelly Bryant right? Great talent around him, but just an okay kid at quarterback. They go 12 and two. They're the number one seed in the playoff more so because they were the defending champs, not because they were that good of a team. They lost to a four and eight Syracuse team in the regular season and they just weren't the same team ends 
it, it then arrives Trevor Lawrence and they're back to the next three years being that team again. You know, go go 15 and 0 the next year, win a national championship, go 14 and 1 the next year, lose in the national championship game, go 10 and 2 the next year. Their only losses were to a playoff team in Notre Dame, and then they lost to Ohio State in the semifinals. And that was not a great Clemson team. But the only reason Clemson was even in the playoff that year is because they had Trevor Lawrence a quarterback. And and so and we saw what they looked like those two games without him. Almost lost to Boston College at home, lost another name on the road uh, in double overtime. So you, that that quarterback can make a huge difference. It, it can. And and you know some programs like Alabama and Georgia can win with a Stetson Bennett or a Jacob Coker or a Jalen Hurts uh, or a you know guys like that, a, a Greg McElroy, a, a AJ McCarron. Because they are so loaded everywhere else. I don't believe Notre Dame can do that. I don't think that that Clemson can do that. And we've seen that with Clemson. They've only won with generational quarterbacks, right? When they haven't had that guy, they've been good, but they're mm-hmm. not they're 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 Notre Dame is what Clemson is when when they don't have that kind of quarterback. So, you know, to me, Ryan, you know, that's kind of how I, I I look at this situation is you, you Notre Dame needs that guy to take that next step. And that's who that's who he is. That's who yeah. Dante Moore is for Notre Dame. And so can they get him? We'll see. We're not going to talk a lot about his recruitment because I've said I'm not going to talk about his recruitment until there's something new to talk about. And there's nothing new to talk about, in my opinion. So, But we can we can emphasize that he's in a very, very, very important player for Notre Dame. And we the interesting thing is you know we kind of thought you know he'd be the he need they need to get him to be the ringleader. Well, it, just the staff is showing their their recruiting chops by still getting you know a Braylon James, a Sullivan Absher, Sam Pendleton, guys like that without Dante even being on the in the class. You know they're in great position with guys like Jaden Lamar and Jaden Greathouse and Rodney Gallagher and some of the other guys we're going to talk about during the show, and they don't even have him in the class yet. So. It, it, you start to kind of get excited, like, well, boy, what what if he does jump in the class and what right. that could do? That That's another reason why Dante is important, because I do believe, and we've talked to Brian Smith about this. I've talked to other sources about this. There's no doubt that kids around the country are paying very close attention to Dante Moore in Notre Dame and what happens with them in Notre Dame. So even though they've already shown they can go out and get big-time players without him, it takes it to another level if you can get him. So he is still a very, very important piece of this puzzle for Notre Dame. And as you said, Ryan, you cannot dismiss the fact that he is, when you talk about you know Notre Dame fit, Notre Dame kid, I haven't seen a, a quarterback geographically, academically, personality-wise, and all the different ways. I, it's been a long time since I've seen a quarterback that fit all those boxes like Dante. I mean, I think the closest thing we've seen to it is Phil Dracovic. And he yeah. lives twice as far away from Notre Dame's campus as Dante Moore does. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. And I, I love the Clemson analogy for a second, Bri, because, you know, just kind of going back there for a second, because I had another question in the mailbag this week that said, Notre Dame has historically recruited the offensive line great and developed the offensive line. And then they were talking about the piece that I wrote about Clemson's struggles, you know, developing that offensive line. And they said, and the question basically was phrased, is the whole offensive line you um, moniker, is that overrated? Because that hasn't led to championships. Mm -hmm. And I pushed back and I said, you know, basically there's not one way to win, but also we see what happened to Clemson now that the quarterback run that they were on is not as great. Like DJ Uyungle was a nice prospect, but he is not – 
a player that is a Trevor Lawrence. He's not a Deshaun Watson. He can't make that because he's not his style to make offensive linemen not look as important because he's going to get the ball out of his hands because he's a guy that's a, a extender of the football. Like that's not his game. Right. And I think that you can win both ways, but when you don't have one, it's, it severely right. kills the other. Like that, that is right. a big thing for me. So I just imagine an offensive line that has been traditionally been Notre Dame with a big time quarterback. That is, I mean, it doesn't matter which one you don't have because you have both now in, right. in that reality, right? And I think that's where the separator is for me. I think the other piece of it for me is I think you can I think you can surpass Ohio State without Dante Moore. I do I do. Because I think when you look at Ohio State's current team, now that may change in a couple of years with the new defensive staff. I don't, you know, they they did a staff overhaul too, and maybe that pays off on the recruiting trail and they get a bunch of great players. They're putting together a nice offensive line class so far. But I don't see Ohio State necessarily being good enough at all positions. Like, they don't have the defensive talent they used to have. They don't have the linebacker talent and DB talent, especially like they used to have. They haven't been as well coached on the defensive line. Larry Johnson's just not getting the same out of five-star players that he did, you know, three, four, five years ago. That's just the reality. Their offensive line hasn't been as good. We'll see if that changes with Justin Fry. They're winning because they have elite quarterback and elite receiver play, right? But they're not winning championships, and they're losing a lot of the big games that they're playing in in recent years, right? In 19, they lost a playoff game. In 20, they beat Clemson, and they got destroyed in the championship game. You know, and, and, and this past year, they they lost the biggest game they played in all year against Michigan, right? Two biggest games they played in all year, they lost. So I think part of that is because they're not good at those other places. I think you can be – you can dominate them in the trenches, in my opinion, and beat them as Oregon showed, Michigan showed, you know, Iowa shown in recent years, Clemson shown. The, the thing for me, however, is for Notre Dame to beat Georgia, to beat Alabama, they're going to need that. And the reason I say that is, is because those teams, Notre Dame can beat those teams in the trenches. At times, I think they have. Not necessarily on both sides of the ball, but I thought Notre Dame's defensive line outplayed Georgia's offensive line in both matchups in, in that game. The problem is Georgia's defensive line outplayed Notre Dame's offensive line by even more in both matchups, right? In, in Alabama, I thought Notre Dame's offensive line and defensive line in 2020 more than held their own against Alabama. The problem is, is you can't, you're not going to dominate them with any sort of consistency. They're like maybe a game here and there where like you just have your day, right? Which happens. Like 20, 2018, if Alabama and Clemson play a, 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 a week later in a rematch, I don't think Clemson wins again 44 to 16. It just was one of those games that just kind of went their way. But what I do think is is when I when I look at that and I, I say you can't dominate those teams in the trenches the way you can Ohio State. And like Kenny Moore said, you know, I don't think Notre Dame can chase down Ohio State without an elite QB. And and my response again is, yeah, you can because they're only great right now. Ohio State's only great at the skill positions. We've seen it with Oregon. We saw it with Michigan this year. They had they are you telling me there's going to be a year down the road where Ohio State's going to have a, a potential top five pick at quarterback and three top 15 picks at receiver like they did this past year, most likely, if Jackson Smith and Jigba's a player that we think he could be, an elite five-star running back? And they still got whooped by Oregon and Michigan. They got convincingly beaten both games. Why? Because they were dominated in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Oh, that's what's happened to Ohio State. With Justin Fields, that's what happened to Ohio State. They lost to Clemson because Clemson beat them in the trenches in the second half. And because 
because of what Trevor Lawrence did, right? That's what happened to them against Alabama two years ago. Alabama physically beat them up in the trenches and neutralized their speed. You can do that to them. You can't do that to Alabama and Georgia. That's the point. And so Notre Dame can have these great lines, and the point is to build to where you can win the battle against Alabama and Georgia in the trenches, Ryan, but you're not going to just dominate them the way that they're coached and and recruited. In order to beat those teams, you have to then have the skill talent to say we can go out and make plays because you're not going to beat Alabama. Georgia maybe. Georgia maybe because they don't have a great quarterback because you can maybe beat them 23-20. to You're not beating Alabama 23-20. Not if you're Notre Dame. You know, again, Georgia, it's a different story. So it's, it's vitally important to be able to do that to them. You have to be able to have that quarterback. And that's the ultimate goal, right, is first you have to pass Ohio State, but the ultimate goal is to, is to get to the level and then beat Alabama and Georgia. And I don't think Notre Dame can do that without an elite quarterback or elite, without elite quarterback play is sure. more specifically. And that's, that's the key for me. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And, I mean, real quick to the Ohio State thing, traditionally what Ohio State's done well in the pretty immediate uh, past is the fact that, like, hey – Skill position's been great. They keep the recruiting the wide receiver position. But for a while there, it was cornerbacks and it was defensive ends. Right. They had a guy, um, Zach Harrison, that right. is now entering what a senior year. And he hasn't developed. Right. I mean, is that a coaching issue? Is that a him issue? We can have a conversation about this. Right. I, I think and there's there's merit to both sides of it. But the fact of the matter is, is the positions that Ohio State has traditionally developed really well. They haven't in recent years. Like, it just right. hasn't. I mean, Seven Banks didn't become a player, transferred. The young cornerback, Denzel Burke, I know it looks like he could be a star, but, like, we'll have to see and, and wait and see if it does become a thing. They, I don't think that the separation between the two programs right. is near what it was anymore. It's and Plus, I mean, honestly, if, you, if Notre Dame has a vision of getting to the top of the mountain, you have to beat the premier programs, right? Which right. now is a Alabama and Georgia. It's not Ohio state anymore. Yeah. It's not, they're not in that top tier. They have to pass Ohio state first though. That's the thing that I have said is you have to pass them first. But I think the point here is, is that evidence has shown Cause again, right. It's, it's, you got to be able to back up your point with evidence. And, and my evidence is if you look at Ohio state with the exception of, and I'll probably say the 2019 game against Ohio state's the one except against Clemson's probably the one exception because I don't know. I said it earlier, and I'm going to take that back. I don't know if they beat Cle- if Ohio if Clemson beats Ohio State in 2019 if Trevor Lawrence isn't the quarterback because Ohio State beat Clemson up in the trenches. That I did. I was thinking 2016 when they beat him 31 nothing. 2019's the exception because that was a pretty good Ohio State team in both trenches, and Clemson wasn't great on the offensive line, and Ohio State was able to to force some turnovers and some mistakes. But their corners in that game were just beat Clemson's corners up. And that's the thing is there aren't Jeffrey Akutas on this roster. There aren't Eli Apples, who isn't much of a, you know, isn't an elite NFL player, but he's a pretty darn good college player. You know, there isn't the Denzel, there isn't the Denzel Wards on this team right now. They just haven't recruited and coached that position as well. And so I think there's this common misconception that, well, Ohio State's got great players. They just needed better coaching. And I don't think that's true. In the back seven. And now defensive line, it's a little different story because they've got Zach Harrison. You know, they've got uh, uh, they've got the kid whose name I just cannot pronounce from Washington. He's a big player. Uh, the Sawyer kid that was a five star player. No, you know, your JT's right. You're, you're right JT. on JT. They also have Sawyer, who is another mm-hmm. five star kid. So I think there is talent there. But linebacker, I, I don't think there's a lot of talent at linebacker right now. The freshman class has it right. 
just sure. like Notre Dame's, but they don't have a Maris that boy with the right system, you know, he healthy, he can go, right? I don't think that's true. They don't have a Jeremiah Wusukoromoa right now in their non-freshman class. Same thing in the secondary. There's some good players back there. Lathan Ransom's a guy I really like a lot. You know, Ronnie Hickman's a good player, but not a great player, right? He's not the kind of guy that you're, you know, he's not a Von Bell, right? Or some of the guys they've had in the past where like, boy, this guy's a, you know, first, second round draft pick. I don't think he is anyway. I think he's a good football player, but he's not that. He's more Jalen Elliott to me, you know, that kind of guy. Good college player, not sure if he's, you know, projects to be a great NFL player. And I, and I'll say this, I still, I look at that, had Jalen Elliott not run a 4 8, because I still believe, Ryan, if Jalen Elliott runs a 4 5, Four six, like he had done his whole Notre Dame career, he's probably a fifth, sixth round draft pick in my opinion. Possible. Uh, so um, that's kind of my stance, and and so that's how I view them. They just don't have that kind of talent. But the beyond that, if you just look at the last four or five years, and for the most part, when they lose, it's because they got their butts kicked in the trenches, and it's you're able to negate that athleticism on the perimeter. And and the point is, it, you can't do that to a house to Alabama and Georgia, not with any consistency. And that's why the only team that can really put Alabama's offense in check is number one, injuries, and number two, Georgia. You know, Georgia's been able at times in these big games to keep Alabama's offense in check. And Clemson's done that. When Clemson has been able to keep Alabama's offense in check, Ryan, what's the reason? They're able to beat them in the trenches, right? I mean, you know, and so you're able to do it sometimes, but you can't you can't count on doing it all the time. So it's important that Nerdham gets that to that level. But what did Clemson do with that? It wasn't just the line, you know, the trenches, right? It was also the fact that they had elite quarterbacks in those games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 fascinating, man. To separate, the, like, I I feel like people think, and I think this is more outside of the Notre Dame realm of of fans. I think a lot of people think that the separation between Ohio State and Notre Dame is this massive thing right now, and I just don't agree that it is. I just really don't. So in the, in that regard, and. It's going to be interesting because when we're comparing them to an Alabama or Georgia, Notre Dame's probably never going to get to the point where they have a Georgia defense like they did last year as far as the depth piece, right? I mean, there's always going to be pieces for for Notre Dame, the Stephon Tuits of the world and the Jerry Tilleries, and you're always going to have some dudes. There's no question. But having the having three guys up front, specifically last year, you have two first round picks, and then probably a guy next year who's also going to be a first round pick. Like I don't see them having. Three I think they can. First. You think? Can? I, I right. think this. I think this is be a good conversation for us to have in a different show. No, that's a really. I mean, I love it. I, I think it's debatable. I think it's certainly debatable. And, and I think when you look at the last twenty years, Ryan, you're you're spot on. I mean. As well do we say when Notre Dame got, uh, you know, we're talking about D-line. They haven't had a first-round draft pick a defensive end since Ronaldo win in 1999. Right. So it seems kind of silly to say, no, I think they can do that. It, it's not that they're in a position to do that. It's that I think they can do that. I think because I, the reason I say that is because there's enough big-time linemen produced above the Mason-Dixon line for Notre Dame to be able to recruit that. Unlike corner. Right where you got to go into the south southwest to get those kind of corners. You just don't have enough. The Ahmed Gardeners are are not you know you don't get a lot of those guys. Right, there's just not a lot of those guys. And so I do think they can get there. I think now the question that I would say is, can they get to the to that level in the secondary? That might be a greater question. Like where you know they had basically two basically two first round draft picks last year. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and Tyson Campbell and Eric Stokes. I mean, Eric, Tyson Campbell was the first pick of the second round. I mean, that's that's because there was maybe some needs ahead of him. He was a he was a first round talent. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you lose those guys and you come back the next year and you've got 
you know, Ke- Ke- yeah, and you've got Keely Ringo, and you're just you're just re- you know reloading there. That I think would be more of a debate. But I I I mean, because you look at like even just the 2018 team. No, they weren't first round picks, but they had a first round pick, a third round pick. I think another guy that you agree, if not for the injuries, possibly is a third round pick, and in, in Khalid Kareem. Right. And, and and those were good prospects. But I think when I look at the current defensive line situation, you look at last year's class with Tyson Ford and they didn't go and Josh Burnham. You look at this year's class. I mean, I think we both agree that Keon Keeley is a first round caliber draft pick. If next year they're able to go out and get Nigel Smith and Elijah rushing, I do think they can get there. It's it. it the, the margin for error is going to be smaller, but I do think they can get there. It's just they are not there now, and they haven't been there in a long time, right? Mm-hmm. So, but I I do think they can get there. I, I just I think the question is is but if you get there, that just means at best you've matched them. You're not going to surpass them, right? That's your point, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's the thing is you're not going to just destroy them in the trenches if you can match them, it just, then it becomes a stalemate. And we're back to the original conversation of, okay, well then do you have the playmaker quarterback that can go out and duel them? Because ultimately that's what her, that's what Alabama has had that Georgia hasn't right. right. In 2017, Jalen hurts, wasn't going to done. So they bring in a five-star kid to a, he make, he you know puts the team on the shoulder. Second half leads them to victory. Right. Mm-hmm. You look at the, the reason Oklahoma almost beat them and scored 48 points on them. A great Georgia defense in 2017 Oklahoma scores over 40 points on them. Why? Great college quarterback in Baker Mayfield. And sure. then you look this year, when, when Alabama was even remotely healthy, they shredded that Georgia defense because they had skill, but they had a great quarterback. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's young, and, and you're you're down, like, several of your best players, and, and you're able to beat him in a rematch. But that's the thing is, did, did Alabama dominate Georgia in the trenches in, the, in that game? No. no. They held their own and then dominated them on the outside. Right. And that goes back to having that trigger man. So we may debate whether they can or can't get there. The point being that we can agree on, however, is they're never going to go past that to the degree where you're now dominating them in the trenches. So mm-hmm. you have to do it some other way. And that is going to be, again, at the quarterback position. Yeah, it, it's right? got to be different, right? Like you can't just stalemate then and just hope that you're better on one given day, right? Because that's not... It's not consistent success. So I agree completely. That's the that's the separator, right? Like, I, I think that we've talked about this before. If Alabama doesn't have the injuries, they probably win that football game because at that point, you have great talent against great talent, but the difference is quarter Stetson Bennett versus Bryce Young at quarterback. Right. Like, that's the separator, two healthy squads. So I agree with you. I mean, that is – that that would help – not even alleviate, because I think I already said, like, the offensive line at Notre Dame has historically not been an issue at all. The wide receivers have talent. They need to be developed a little better. Right. But if you now get the talented signal caller, that's where you turn a really good team into a elite team. Like, that's mm-hmm. the difference, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So let's let's transition, Ryan. And, and, I, and we, had a, we had a really good comment that asked the question that I thought kind of – it makes a good transition. And Sean Kane says, obviously – Dante's the number one must get target on the board for Notre Dame. Would you guys say Monroe Freeling is the number two guy left on the board? And uh, Sean, that is a great comment and a great segue. We're not going to focus so much on a guy per se, because we, in our view, we were talking about this beforehand and, and Ryan, you can, 
you can nuance it or push back on it if you if you like. But our thought process was is yes, you're not going to dominate them consistently in the trenches, but you have to be dominant in the trenches to get there and then be able to hold your own. And and to really get to the class that you need, it can't just be Monroe Freeling. It can't just be Charles Jagasaw. It has to be both. And and that's our kind of our stance is is does Monroe Freeling close the gap? Yes. No mm-hmm. question. He's a top 50 player and and one of the best pure left tackles in the class, if not the best. I mean, it, it can be debated on whether Samson Oklahoma is a pure left tackle. I think he is. Some people see him more as a right tackle type of guy. That's debatable. But Monroe's in the conversation. Is Charles Jagasaw a gap closer? Absolutely. And, and the, the, but, but to really, for Notre Dame to get to that level where just every week you're like, okay, you're just going to lose up front this game. So you're going to have to figure something out. I think they need both of them. I, I do. So they need Monroe Freeling and Charles Jagasaw to go with Sullivan Absher and Sam Pendleton to go with that. Cause like last year's class was really good, but mm-hmm. other than Billy Shrouth, I, ne- I didn't see a guy that was like, Oh yeah, that's a, that's a no brainer. That's a Quentin Nelson. That's a Ronnie Stanley. That's a, that's a Mike McGlinchey. That's a, you know, that it's just a bunch of good players. I see, I see Chris Watts in last year's class. I see, you know, Robert Haynes, he's in last year's class, really good football players, but not that dominant force that we've seen maybe Emil Wagner gets there if he can fill out you know he's the guy that has the highest ceiling Billy Shrouth is the closest thing they had to it but they didn't have it at tackle and mm-hmm. and so you look at it and say boy you you've got to you've got to continue that that trend of getting that elite tackle right because you've got arguably the best tackle tandem in the country right now you you need to keep that trend going and that means Jagasaw and Monroe Freeling have to be a part of of this class in my opinion one is getting one is great but again we're not talking about the number one ranked recruiting class we're talking about closing that gap and if notre dame has an elite coach which we think they have and elite talent up front then that's that's how you're going that's how you're going to be really really good i know we just talked a lot about how alabama probably loses that game because of the injury factor obviously to georgia but another thing that we didn't talk haven't talked about much from that game brian is the fact that Alabama has an Evan Neal, who is gap closer, obviously. First-round pick, top-10 pick in the NFL draft this year. But on the other side, they have Chris Owens starting at right tackle, who is like a backup center. Started at center for them in the playoff the year before because Landon Dickerson was hurt. Right. And And he got his butt kicked by Notre Dame in that game, by the way. Sure did. And now (laughs) they have a 6'3 guy playing right tackle. Like, there's limitations. And I think that Georgia, I mean – the, playing against a front like Georgia had last year, you have Chris Owens. The center was was a first-year player. I, I, I haven't been impressed with either of the guards that they had last year, Cohen or or the kid that's from Indiana that I always forget his name that uh, came out a few years ago. Echior. Echior, yeah, Echior. Yeah. So there were limitations from the offensive line perspective for even in Alabama last year. And good defenses are going to find their advantages, right? Like you're not going to throw your best pass rusher against Evan Neal. You're going to put a guy that can hell hold his own. And then you're going to go take advantage of Chris Owens. Like that's, that's what you're going to do. Right. right. And I think for Notre Dame specifically right now is going for the next couple of years, you have Blake Fisher, you have Joe Walt. If they're developed properly, good luck trying to find an advantage in that department. And then after that, though, the next step is if you get a Monroe Freeling, great. But if you don't have a great right tackle on the other side of him, then you could still find 
opportunities for teams to take advantage of your lesser offensive linemen. That's why at Charles Jagasaw is, is equally as important. And I think personally, if you're asking me between the two, who do I think is the more important player? I would probably say Monroe Freeling just because right. of the fact that he can play left tackle. But to your point, you need both because right. without both, you don't close the gap. You only close part right. of it. I look at Alabama, especially in recent years, and they've had holes in their offensive line. They've always had at least a hole, and and that was the difference between Notre Dame's 2016 offensive line and their 2017 offensive line. What was the biggest difference? In 2016, you knew you could match up against their right guard and kick his butt and, and create problems that they then had to spend the whole game trying to overcome. Then the next year, you slide Alex Bars inside the guard, right, right guard problem solved. Right. Okay, but what about right tackle? Well, then you have Tommy Kramer and Robert Hainsey who stepped in and played really good football that year as a tandem. And there were no holes in that defense in that offensive line. You know, I mean, and that's that's the thing is the 2015 offensive line. There were no holes in that offensive line. When Steve Elmer's your worst player, you got a really good offensive line. You know, he was an he would have been an NFL football player if he would have continued to play football. He quit when he's a true junior. And so that's the thing for me, and that's the difference between Georgia's offensive line in most years and Alabama's in recent seasons because I don't think Georgia's had the high-level talent on the offensive line that Bama's had. They haven't had it in Evan Neal. But you know what I like about Georgia's line? They're just good across the board. Like, they don't really have – last year's line was up and down. They had some injuries. But, like, this year's line was dominant, but it was just good. It's just good players. across the board, right? Just yeah. good football players. Reminded me a lot of like the 2018 Clemson line, right? Like no great players, no high level of draft picks. I think Simpson was a fourth round pick. I think Tremaine Ankrum was, was he a fourth or fifth round pick? Did he go Se- later? Seven, seventh, seventh round to the Rams. All right, but yeah. Mitch Hyatt didn't get picked. I, I don't think their center got picked, you know? So like, but it was just a college, good college football players across the board coached well. Well, I think Alabama went out and got one of the best offensive line coaches and, that, that I've seen, you know, one of the, a, a really good football coach, the guy they got from Kentucky. But the problem is you don't have a good five across the board. And we've seen Alabama be susceptible as we saw in the, in the, in the national championship game is if you can, if you can whoop them up front. And I think Notre Dame had Notre Dame did that to them a little bit too. It's just that Notre Dame couldn't then hang with them on the perimeter, but Notre Dame beat up. I think I, if you were to just take the game and just look at the lines I think Notre Dame outplayed Alabama in 2020 playoff game. Like I think the O-line versus the D-line was at least a stalemate. I think Notre Dame ran the ball on them early. Once they realized, like every other team realized, Ian Book's not throwing the ball past 10 yards against us, then they started loading the box, and Notre Dame couldn't run in the first second half. They ran for over 130 yards in the first half with no passing attack whatsoever. And then Alabama just did, did what Clemson did. It took Alabama half to figure it out. Clemson figured it out in 2018 after about a quarter. Because Notre Dame actually ran the ball okay. They had, I think, they were efficient on like eight of their first 11 runs in the in the Cotton Bowl in 2018. And then Clemson was like, well, you know, quarterback's not throwing the ball down the field, so we're just going to load the box. And Alabama did the same thing, right? But, yeah. and I think Notre Dame's defensive line outplayed Alabama's offensive line. Now, Notre Dame had issues at linebacker and they had issues in the secondary, just line play. And so you've got to be able to continue that, but then take it to the next level. Because if you can dominate those teams, Ryan, that makes it even better. And if you're ever going to have a chance to do that, you need to land great tackles, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. and especially in the Notre Dame offense, because it it gets you there. And then, of course, with Jagasaw, we've talked about that. He could end up moving inside, be an elite guard. You know, we I like him a right tackle. You like him inside, but you liking him inside isn't a – he can't play tackle, as you've tried to stress over and over. It's I think he could be an elite guard. 
And, and that just adds to it. Right. And so it's so important that Notre Dame be that because Notre Dame can be a, can be a great team without an elite quarterback. In my opinion, there's just a couple teams that I don't think they can beat without it. I think they can beat Clemson without it. Now. I don't think they could have been 18 and 16, but they can now. They they can beat Ohio State without it, as we've seen other teams do. You can't win a championship. You can't beat a Georgia in the semis and then Alabama in the title game or Ohio State in the semis and Bama in Ohio game or vice versa if you don't have an elite quarterback. But the other thing I believe to be true is I don't believe Notre Dame can win a title without an elite offensive line. I, I don't. I, I think just the nature of who they are, what they can recruit, how they play, they they can't. They can't be a, an elite, consistently elite team. They may have that like that one weird, freaky year, but if they're going to be a legitimate title contender year after year after year, they have to be an elite offensive line. And and I don't think I, I don't think I don't think there's a question now about the coaching aspect of it. It's the it's it's can you get elite talent to match elite coaching? And when they've done that in the past. They've been really good, yes, and and that's what we see with them potentially getting these two kids. So I think that's the next one on the board, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree completely. I, I think that it's it's historically what's made Notre Dame successful, right? Like even back to when the golden era was, the offensive line was always consistently great. And I think the one thing is, if Notre Dame was consistently churning out great quarterbacks and having a wide receiver group to the degree of a Ohio state or somewhere in the ballpark, then you can kind of, you know, overcompensate for maybe the lack of offensive line, but you don't need to do that. Right. Like to, to be a, to have staying power as being a really great team on the college level, having both is what is the way to go, obviously. So we need a great quarterback. We've talked a bunch about that. The offensive line has been a consistent thing for Notre Dame historically outside of the last couple of years, you need to keep that going. And there's no reason to think that you can't get there. And the fact of the matter is, is everyone's so excited about Blake Fisher and Joe Walt, and they should be. I think they both have, I think they both have first round upside down the line. I think they both do. But the fact of the matter is, is having those types of talents, they're not going to be at Notre Dame that long. I mean, either it's three years or it's four years. Those are not five year players. So you need to start planning ahead now to figure out who the next guy is, because before you blink your eye, you're going to, they're not going to be there anymore. Like it's just going to happen like that. For me, Ryan, I actually knew I was on mute that time. Um, I had my hand on the button, but I was like, well, let me finish. Let me let him finish talking. Uh, so, because, you know, I have a bad habit of in- interrupting. For me, when I when I look at the current tackles, I think there's a better chance that both of them are gone after 2023 than both of them come back in 2024. So Agreed. to your point, that adds to your point of you need to make sure you have replacements ready for them. And now, obviously, they're going to be here in 2023, so anyone they sign in this class is going to at least get their freshman year. But, I mean, you're in a situation now where you you could be looking for at least one, right, a redshirt freshman to be starting in 2024. And, and, and you know, whether it's left tackle. And I think it's probably going to be a right tackle. Cause I think if, if one of the two guys, like if Blake Fisher, let's say Joe Walt leaves early and Blake Fisher stays, you're just going to move Blake to left tackle, right? That would be the progression. Let's move him to left tackle so he can get that experience and, you know, bump him up to, you know, maybe he does. Cause if he comes back, he either had an injury or he didn't get the draft projection that you thought he would. Well, you right. helped that by moving him to left tackle like they did with McGlinchey. Right, like they with Stanley, those guys both started at right tackle, moved to left. 
if Joe Walt comes back, it's a no-brainer. He's staying a left tackle. So it's most likely going to be right tackle coming open, which, again, doesn't mean Monroe Freeling wouldn't be that guy because, as we've seen, they've put left tackles at right tackle if that's going to get him on the field earlier. Mm-hmm. But eventually it's like, you know, somebody's going to need to step into that left tackle spot. So I think you're going to need guys in this class because if Emil Wagner pans out, then, you know, you should be okay at one of those two spots. Uh, but if he doesn't, then you're you're in trouble because like, there's a lot of guys like Ty, Ty Chan. I just I just don't see him as a tackle, a right tackle at best. He's not a left tackle. Right now, as you look at, at when these kids arrive, I mean, Tosh Baker's going to be a senior at that point in time. Michael Carmody's moved inside. Caleb Johnson will be a junior, but you know, undersized at this point in time. Who are the tackles? If Emil Wagner doesn't pan out, who are the who's the future at tackle? Yeah, great question. I don't know. This is why you don't sign just two offensive linemen in the 2021 class, but that's a different story for a different day. So uh, 2020 class, excuse me. So let's kind of get down to the final two guys on this board. And, and to me, it's a pair of receivers and we're going to talk about them separately, but it's, it's the one thing I'll say is they've got to, you've got to get both of them. We're going to talk about them separately, but I think you got to get both of them. And that's Jaden Greathouse and Rodney Gallagher. We're going to start with Rodney Gallagher, right? I think the biggest thing is, is number one, Notre Dame wants to get more playmakers, need to get more playmakers. I mean, you see this at Alabama. You do see this at Ohio State. You you see this at Georgia to a degree at running back, not so much a receiver at running back. They have playmakers, right? For Notre Dame, I think they need more playmakers at receiver. Alabama's playmakers are more at running back and tight end. Notre Dame will have them at tight end. I think Notre Dame have a running back, but I'd like to also see him at receiver. And I think especially in Tom Reese's offense, it's good to have guys like that and guys that can get the ball in simple ways and they can do damage. Mm-hmm. And there's not a better guy on the board in this class for Notre Dame at that than Rodney Gallagher. And so I think that is important. And then, of course, anytime Notre Dame can, can get an athlete like that from Western Pennsylvania, they've got to do it because they don't come along very often. And so I think from a scheme fit standpoint, from a dynamic playmaking ability standpoint, and then also from a you just don't have a lot of guys like him on your roster, Rodney Gallagher is in a very, very, very important player to this class. And the kind of guy you need, if you're going to go out there and beat those teams, you need more guys like him on your roster. Well, and that's my main point is the fact that I just I don't think there are players like Rod, Rodney Gallagher on the roster right now. I think there's players that can do some things that are similar to Rodney Gallagher, but there's not a pure make you miss slot type dynamic player in space right. on this roster. Like there's guys that like Lorenzo Styles can do it. He can do some RPO game and he can make some plays after the catch and do those types of things, but he's not a pure guy. More a speed guy. Exactly. Right. He's more of a, I'm going to play outside and then I'm going to move inside when you want to take advantage of certain matchups. He's not a pure slot where, He's going to navigate space and make guys look silly on the second and third levels. Like that's what Rodney Gallagher is to me. And for an offense that seems to want to have more RPO implementation, they want to have guys that can work some screens and do things in space. And we've been talking about quarterback a ton. What's the best thing for a young quarterback? Getting guys that can make plays quick, get the ball out of his hand and let that guy make 20 yard yak play, make, make a creative explosive play himself. Those are a quarterback's best friend. I feel like people talk about the slot receivers. They say like, Oh, that guy's their best friend. You know, what's their best friend is a slot receiver that could also make something after the catch and be dynamic that make an easy play a explosive one. That's what Rodney Gallagher brings to this game. RPO game, screen game, Run him on some jets. Give him jet 
tosses. I don't care what they do with right. him. All I know is he's dynamic, dynamic, dynamic athlete right. in space. And look what happened to Clemson. Like we talk a lot about the quarterback problem. And I think the quarterback position was a problem last year, but I think there was a second big problem beyond there was offensive line was a problem. But the one that doesn't get talked about enough that, that I think was a significant problem for Clemson last year is they didn't have an Amari Rogers, a Ray Ray McLeod uh, type of guy that they, a Hunter Renfro type of guy, that slot guy. Now Hunter Renfro and Amari Rogers are two very different players. But it's the same principle of that 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 slot guy that can make a lot of plays. Now Hunter did it as a route runner. Amari did it as a slot receiver. But you know Clemson kind of went away from that. They just started recruiting a bunch of highly ranked, bigger outside guys, and and they just that offense didn't work that way. And then you look at Ohio State, who doesn't really have any big guys. At least have haven't in recent years. It's been mostly smaller guys. Now they've got some bigger guys. You know, Emeka's a big guy. Marvin Harris is a big guy coming up. But, I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba was their big guy last year. He's not that big. He's kind of tall. He's like, what, 6'2", but he's a skinny kid, right? And, and Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, they're smaller guys. Alabama in 2020, their biggest guy was John Mechie at like six foot, 200 pounds, right? right. Like, and so, to me, getting more of those, those matchup nightmares because the guy can do so much with his athleticism and playmaking – is a huge plus for a quarterback. And and again, I'd like to see Notre Dame get more of those guys. But I think that, it, and I think it begins with Rodney Gallagher. And and not only getting him, but then having him, get him to have success to show you. Because like, you know, Avery Davis is, is, is more of a Hunter Renfro type, but he just doesn't have the same, you know, feel for the game, mainly because he hasn't played the position that long. Right. Sure. I mean, he he plays receiver like a smart quarterback as opposed to a guy that's playing receiver his whole life, mm-hmm. like Hunter Renfro, you know. But he, he he brings some of that similar stuff. But if you can find a guy that can do that and can be dynamic, that guy's that guy's is, is a musket. And again, back to the geography aspect, Ryan, it what makes it even more important in this class is you just don't get kids like him from western Pennsylvania very often. And sure. and he's got grades and he's got all that stuff. So when you have a kid like that, you've you've got to get him. And so that's why Rodney Gallagher is an absolute must get for Notre Dame in this class, but also a guy that is a gap closer in this class. There's no doubt about it. And, and you you know why else I think a little bit of why he's a gap closer is not only just the physical skill set he has, incredibly quick, twitchy player, breaks some tackles. He also brings a swagger to the game, which I think you need at the wide receiver position. I mean, I think to like the best receivers they've had over the last few years, talking about Notre Dame, like Claypool had a little bit of swagger to him, but Miles Boykin was just a consistent dude, not a ton of swagger. Kevin Austin was the same thing. Like he had his flashes, but also just not a ton of swagger. Rodney Gallagher just has this aura about him, man. Like mm-hmm. he just walks around and you're just like, yeah, he's a dude and he knows he's a dude and he's yep. going to make plays. And at wide receiver, some people, that's a turnoff to some people. I love it. Like, you need that type of nuance to your mm-hmm. personality, in my opinion, to, to be yeah. that type of player. And he has that. I think Braylon James has that a little bit, too, who's already in the class. Yep. But I know he's definitely got some swagger. Yeah. Absolutely. I also think that Notre Dame has a chance. I'm going to have some fun here with this comment. I think Notre Dame has a chance to recruit a football class this year that has a chance to dominate intramural basketball at Notre Dame. <laughs> if you get if you get Rodney Gallagher, Monroe Freeling, Braylon James, Devin Houston, 
there's some really good basketball players in this class as well. Yeah. And obviously Rodney would be the best. I mean, he's a kid that's capable of playing point guard in Notre Dame. I mean, he, legitimately, he's a, he is a guy that could play at Notre Dame. And so, you know, to me, that's a guy that, that I think has that too. I think another player to me, Ryan, is Jaden Greathouse. Mm-hmm. And there's some other receivers on the board. And, and we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about some guys like there's, I think we could have an interesting conversation about like Ronan Hannafin and, and Jeremiah Love and guys like that. But we're going to do a show here soon about them in a different context. And it's going to be, it's going to be him, Micah Tease, Samuel and Pemba, Jeremiah Love of, you know, what can these two way players do for you and how important they are. So we we will talk about them down the road. Right. So we're not, we're, we're, we're purposely leaving Ronan Hannafin out of this conversation. But the other guy that is very, very important to me is Jaden Greathouse, mm-hmm. and it's twofold. I don't think Jaden Greathouse by himself is a necessarily a, a, a true gap closer in the sense of like a, a, a an elite player may be, like a Cardinal Tate or a Tyler Williams or, or, or if Braylon James pans out and reaches his full potential. There's a couple things that are super important about Jaden Greathouse. Three things, really. Number one, like Gallagher, Jaden Greathouse, if you listen to him talk, he has this very unassuming manner, right? Mm-hmm. Like just, hey, you know, yes, sir, no, sir, just really polite kid. But then yep. you watch him on the field, and then you see how he interacts, like, on social media. He's a super confident kid, like super confident kid. And as a receiver's coach, I'm going to tell you, I loved kids like that because I don't want to – necessarily a cocky kid because cocky kids tend to be more about the flash than they are about the substance. I like guys that were, that were super confident and weren't afraid to let you know that they were going to dominate you and then go out there and dominate you. And when you look at him, he, he tended to have his best games and the biggest moments, none bigger than seven catches for 236 yards and three touchdowns in the state championship game against Denton guy, where he basically destroyed Ryan Yates. I mean, to the point where, that's part of the reason Notre Dame stopped recruiting Ryan Yates. It's like, no, no, uh-uh. We're, we want that guy. That's also the real big reason why Notre Dame ramped up on Jaden Greathouse. Is like, okay, this is a guy. So obviously the swagger's a big part of it. I think they need a receiver in this class that can play right away. They, they, they need one. And there's not a higher floor in this class, arguably in the entire country. That's more debatable. But definitely on the Notre Dame board, Ryan, there's not a higher floor receiver in this class than Jaden Greathouse as far as just a guy that has the size, the athletic ability, but more the knowledge of the game and the strength to play right away. Jaden Greathouse is going to show up ready to play. And then the third piece for me, which we'll get into after after you discuss why you think Jaden Greathouse is so important, I think the Texas angle is very important as well. But let's first talk about why Jaden Greathouse is a very important player for him specifically when it comes to why why does he getting him borderline top 100 kid and all that why is he uh, so key to a gap closing kind of class because i have a few reasons for that from a, just yeah. a pure football standpoint yeah he's i mean for me I, i've been higher on great house than i think a lot of people to be honest because I, I think that when you look at a braylon james that's already in the class tremendous upside Maybe the floor isn't incredibly high, though, right? Ronnie Gallagher, for his role as a fantastic player, for me, Jaden Greathouse gives you extreme comfort knowing that he's going to come in and he is going to do his job and he's going to do it really well. Because what is the one thing Notre Dame has not lacked 
athleticism at the wide receiver position in recent years. They've lacked coaching. We've talked about that a ton. They've also lacked consistency because of that coaching a little bit. I have no doubt that Jaden Greathouse is going to come in early on. He's going to run clean routes. He's going to do his job, and he's going to catch the football extremely well. Like Those things are pluses. And I'm a little higher on the simple fact that I think at the catch point, the kid is dominant. I think Mm -hmm. as a route runner, the kid is about as advanced as I've seen coming out of high school. I think that he brings just such a high floor, and I still think there's some untapped potential with him as a football player. So I just, man, I, I just love everything about him, to be honest. I, I don't think that he's dynamic as an athlete, but I think he's good all around as an athlete. I think he's physical. I think he catches the ball great. Really good route runner. For me, he's a ready-made college football player, and he gives you, I think, the bone, the benefits of taking a Braylon James who is a high ceiling, low floor prospect when you have in reverse a guy like a great house that has such a high floor. I think the dependability and the consistency is something that Notre Dame fans are going to love. I think he also brings a unique game to the table. I mean, I, I, I think Inside, you see outside. things in him that I don't see, right? Like, sure. I don't see quite the, the big playability that I think you do. I, I see a guy that yes, is very good at the catch point, but you know, is he a Michael Floyd? Not quite Michael Floyd, right? And but one thing I like about him is again, he knows how to get open. Mm-hmm. And and there's this there's this thought that I think is a mistake amongst people that the only way you can get separation is to be fast. And I think if you watch the NFL right now, Ryan, you'll see a lot of guys who aren't fast that have no problem getting separation. Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, DeAndre Hopkins when he was in his prime. I mean, we we can Michael Thomas. We can do this all day of guys that ran high four fives, low four sixes that have no problem getting open in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Because I think receiver is such a game of skill and it's a game of nuance. And I think, you know, like Devontae Smith, I think, you know, I've heard the the conspiracy theories that you know, he didn't run a 40 time, correct? And say, well, that's an injury and all that. But other people said, no, it's because he wasn't going to run a really super fast 40 time. Yep. And so he just wanted people to be forced to rely on the tape. I've often wondered what would Kyle, where would Kyle Hamilton have been drafted if he just chose not to run a 40? I, right. I often wonder that, right? And, and it's because I think sometimes NFL scouts get obsessed with certain things when looking at the draft that NFL coaches don't. And I think coaches get obsessed on that in the offseason, but once the season starts, you just go back to the guys and not to get open. And I think Jaden Greathouse brings a, a, a an understanding of the game of football that Notre Dame just hasn't had a lot of. Like some of the best receivers Notre Dame have had in recent years were either like a guy like Will Fuller, who, who wasn't a great route runner. He just was could just run by everyone. And then you've had guys like Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool who are pretty raw, you know, coming out of college, which is why, you know, part of the reason why Miles took a while to get going. And it's part of the reason why I, I think Chase Claypool never really like Chase made plays his whole, you know, really his last three years, but it was, not consistently dominant because he just didn't know how to play the game. Jaden Greathouse knows how to play the game, and he mm-hmm. knows how to get open. And I think to your point, you said the inside-outside dominance. That was going to be my final piece to it is Jaden Greathouse can play all three positions in the re- receiver for Notre Dame. He can do some things in the boundary. I don't know if I see him as a full-time boundary guy for some different reasons as far as how Notre Dame uses the boundary. I think they sure. could easily adjust to use him, use his skill, unique skill set more effectively I don't know if if I see him as a a full-time X either because I want a guy that maybe has a little bit more speed to be there all the time. I don't know if I see him as a full-time slot all the time, but what I see is a kid that can play everywhere 
and that only adds to your ability to use him. I'd say if I were to project him most, it would be W, Z, then X would be how, you know, so basically boundary across would be how I'd rank his best positions. I just love the fact that he you can move him around so much and just create matchup problems. Like if you have a safety that that does that that a team puts in coverage a lot, I'm gonna try to do whatever I can to get Jaden Greathouse matched up against him. Right. Mm-hmm. If you if you're gonna if you're gonna have a, a small corner to the field, I'm gonna try to find ways to get Jaden Greathouse matched up against him. And he's not a super, super athlete, but as somebody pointed out earlier, he knows how to do he knows how to do things with the ball in his hands. Yes, he right. Does. He's a savvy player with the ball in his hands as well. He understands angles and getting vertical and 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 he's just there's nothing he can't do. It's just he isn't a super athlete. No. That's the thing that holds him back. But you don't have to be. And that's why I've kind of come around to him is like, you know, I fall victim a little bit to that, you know, but is he explosive and all that stuff too? But the fact is, is this kid has such a high football IQ, great catch radius, knows how to get open, and he's strong that you know, he doesn't need the high ceiling because that's how high his floor is. And yeah. so, you know, to me, like, I would have I would have said I think CJ Williams probably has a little higher ceiling because I think CJ is a little bit faster. And I think CJ has room to CJ is still a young looking kid that's going to have to get stronger and all that kind of stuff. Jaden Greathouse is now and I think CJ Williams will be in two years. Right. I mean, that's just how advanced he is. And so there's a need for that in this offense. And the final piece is, is if you've got Braylon James, Rodney Gallagher, and Jaden Greathouse, those are three completely different football players, which wow. what have I always raved? I mean, Ryan, you've been hearing me whine about this for years for Notre Dame. I want more diversity at receiver. I want more diversity at receiver. It's like they went from too many big guys. Now they don't have any big guys. It's like, give me a freaking break, right? What I love about the potential of this class is if you're able to get Gallagher and you're able to get Braylon James, I mean, um, Rod, Jaden Greathouse with Braylon James, you have three very distinct skill sets, and that is a pain in the behind for defensive coaches. Yep. You know, especially if they can all move all over. And that's what you also bring to the table is Braylon James can play X and W, Rodney Gallagher can play X and Z. And in a pinch, you could put him at W to do some interesting, you know, maybe you do some bunch stuff where you're going to get him chasing across the field and things like that. Then you've got the tight end that you could put into the boundary with Raritan or Holden Stace or, you know, guys like that. And then you can play Jaden Greathouse all over the place. Tobias Merriweather can play all over the place. If you look back at last year's top player. So even you, cause you got to bring in what's currently on the roster, right? Tobias Merriweather is another one that can move all over. So it's not like Tobias is this. And so he's going to be there and everybody else has to do something else. They can all play multiple positions. And that's what has me excited because a great quarterback can raise the town around him. We've seen that, but I'll tell you what, it's even better when you have a great quarterback that also has really, really good weapons around him. And I think tight ends in a good position moving forward. I think running backs in a very good position moving forward. I think the thing for me now, Ryan, moving forward is can Notre Dame get to that point where they've got the receivers to, to say, Hey, we don't just have a guy, right? Like there's chase Claypool and then a drop off. You know, there was there was Equinemia St. Brown in 2017, and then your next best guy is like Cam Smith or, Cam, you know, Cameron Smith, right? I mean, you've had the, you were, you know, Michael Floyd's your best guy, but then a sophomore TJ Jones is next, right? I mean, and then after that, it was like, what, Robbie Toma, right? And that's no disrespect to Robbie Toma, great kid, worked hard and all that. But there's a difference between Robbie Toma and, you know, Clemson's number three in 2018, which was Hunter Renfro. 
right? And and Alabama's you know number two and number three you know in past years, and Ohio State's number three this past year is what Chris Olave. You know what I mean? I mean, if we're being honest, he was probably their number three receiver, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I uh, so um, he was the number 11 overall draft pick. And he was their third best receiver this past year. So it'd be nice to kind of get to that point where, yeah, okay, we've got a great quarterback and a great line and great tight ends, but you're going to have your hands full with what we're doing on the perimeter. That's ultimately how Notre Dame is going to get to that point where they are closing the gap, Ryan. It's And, and here's the final piece that will say this. And if y'all have questions, we have some queued up, but if you have some more questions, please send them. We're not going to go you know, past 2 o'clock because we need to get off and get ready for our 3 o'clock show. But we'll get to as many as we can. But here's the key, Ryan. We mm-hmm. talked about Dante Moore and Monroe Freeling and, and Charles Jagasaw and Rodney Gallagher and Jane Greathouse. But at the end of the day, we have to see Notre Dame get all of them. That's the key. And and there's a, there's a final piece I didn't talk about, Jane Greathouse check out the article that I wrote today at Irish breakdown. Notre Dame is on the verge of doing something in Texas. They haven't done it in a very long time. Mm-hmm. And I think Jaden Greathouse could be the final key to that piece to that. Cause I think getting great house from right now, which is the premier program in Texas. I mean, they were the state champs last year. I mean, and dominated last year, 16, and, 16 and 0. Right. Yep, and and you look at, I mean, the Denton Geyer game wasn't even close. Denton no Geyer is filled with big time football players. And it wasn't even competitive. Jaden Greathouse is a big piece of that. If you're now able to get a kid from Denton, Geyer, and a kid from Austin Westlake, I think that opens things up in a big, big way for Notre Dame in regards to being able to do more and more and more in the state of Texas. Because if you look, what state produced the most NFL players in the 2022 NFL draft? It was Texas. Georgia was next at 30. Texas at 32. Georgia was next at, at, at uh, 30. The next state was California at 22. They had 10 fewer guys than what Texas had. Florida was a 21. Texas is booming. They're going back to what, I mean, they've got, everybody's, it's a little bit cyclical. Texas went through a little stretch where they were kind of going, they weren't producing as much, but they're back up again now. And it's a state that Notre Dame can, can have more success in than I think Florida. You're going to find more kids that fit. Kids come from better school systems. They come from programs that spend a lot more money on their football program. So you're going to get more ready-made guys like a Jaden Greathouse there. Uh, and and so and there's and I just think kids down there for whatever reason I don't know the answer why for whatever reason kids from Texas have been a little bit more open to leaving the state than sometimes kids from Florida who will leave the state I meant leave the region is what I meant to say kids sure. from Florida will leave the state but they don't often leave the region right and I think that uh, that's another reason why it's important so that adds to it as well but the key at the end of the day Ryan to wrap this up is Notre Dame mm-hmm. needs to get all of them that is the mm-hmm. way. Forget the number one ranked class. That's all fine and dandy. But for me, the important thing is, can you get that gap closing, potentially gap erasing class? It's going to require Dante and the linemen and the receivers to go with what you already have. I think that ultimately is going to be the key. Well, you highlighted it. All three of the receivers that we've talked about here, including Braylon James is committed. They're all very different, right? Like, I mean, I feel like Braylon James is what Notre Dame has had in in at, at points here, right? He's got some length. He's got some explosiveness. He's got some deep, deep play threat ability. You got great houses, more of a six, two physically put together kid around 210 pounds. It's going to run great routes, be physical. And then riding Gallagher's that great slot. One last note I want to put out there, Brian, you mentioned it, the seven catch 230 plus yard performance that he had Jaden Greathouse again against Denton Geyer. I mean, Denton Geyer, I, I mean, cause everybody knows Peyton Bowen's there, right? Who's a, top 50 caliber type of t- talent that is in the Notre Dame class. 
You also have Eli Bowen, who's a pretty darn good player as a sophomore last year. You also have Ryan Yates, who's going to LSU, four-star caliber kid. And then the other safety. That's who Jaden Greathouse abused the whole game. Yes. And the other safety is a a talented player as well. He's He's a power five type of player also. So, him playing like that against the in the biggest moment of the season, that's what he reminds me of. As I imagine, even if Jaden Greathouse doesn't end up being the best receiver out of the bunch we're talking about if he ends up in Notre Dame, I imagine he's just going to be a big player as far as being in the big moments because he has shined at one of the premier uh, high school uh, high school programs in the nation in the be- in the you know a plethora of talented players that he's gone against. I think Jaden Greathouse is that type of player who's a money player. That's what I see Mm -hmm. in his game.